The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. Recently, I was taking stock of the various plants and shrubs that grow in my community orchard in Toronto, Canada. The orchard is in a public park, and there are lots of trees in the park that we didn't actually put there. We planted mostly fruit trees, including apple trees, cherries, apricots, Asian pears, and plums. But our park has other beautiful trees, including dogwoods and tulip trees. We have Ohio buckeyes, Kentucky coffee trees, and lots more. But tucked away in the north edge of the orchard is a shrub that we did not put there. It has compound leaves, so each leaf is made up of a lot of smaller leaflets. In the spring, this shrub has fragrant yellow blossoms that attract bees. And the tree produces long bean-shaped pods, which are apparently edible, but not delicious. Now this mystery plant I discovered was a Siberian pea shrub, known in Latin as Caragana aborescens. It's from the legume family, and like other legumes, it's a nitrogen-fixing plant. Advocates of nitrogen-fixing plants like this one say that the plants offer lots of benefits to nearby fruit trees. They say the nutrient-filled nodules on the roots of nitrogen-fixing plants will break down over time and improve soil fertility. So, is it a good idea to plant nitrogen-fixing trees and shrubs in your garden or orchard? That's what we're going to find out about in the show today. My guest today is permaculture expert and educator, Stefan Subkoviak. Stefan is trained as a biologist and a landscape architect. He was an instructor of fruit production and landscape design at Montreal's McGill University. And he's the founder of a commercial permaculture orchard called Miracle Farms in Quebec. 
Now, before we dig into today's topic, I would love to hear from you. Send us an email during the live show with your question or your comment, or just email us to say hi, and we'll enter you into the contest today. This month, we have three separate prizes for three different listeners. The first prize is the Food Forest Handbook, Design and Manage a Homescale Perennial Polyculture Garden by Daryl Frey and Michelle Sozba. And two copies, we also have two copies of the ebook that Stefan himself wrote. It's called Stefan Subkoviak Answers Questions from People Like You, and that's valued at $5. We have two copies of that. So to enter our contest, send us an email right now or anytime during the live show. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I really look forward to hearing from you. So, Stefan, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Susan. Thanks so much for coming on. This is very exciting. We are going to talk about nitrogen-fixing trees and shrubs. And I just wanted to start off with the basics, the scientific basics. What's the big deal about nitrogen? Why is everybody so obsessed about nitrogen if they're growing fruit trees? Uh, I would say it's not just nitrogen. We call it nitrogen because that's the element that is actually fixed by the bacteria or whatever process. There's a a couple of ways of it happening. The big deal is that they actually improve the soil. So they are really, they also are called support species. So they are supporting the other players, the other actors on stage, if you like, you know, in your, in your orchard, in the park, they would be there and just making the site better. That's really their biggest, biggest role. Now, you say that they're there to make the site better, but people are thinking in terms of their gardens, in terms of their community orchard or wherever they're growing the fruit trees, there's only so much space. You want to grow a lot of fruit trees. Why would I waste any of that space to plant a tree or a shrub that does not produce fruit that I can eat or sell or do whatever with? Well, I can say from experience, because we started off uh, as a an organic monoculture apple orchard. So we bought a 4,000 tree orchard uh, some years ago, 30 years ago. And I did that. I had it where, hey, no space was wasted. You know, there's trees wall to wall, you know, border, fence to fence. And I went down that road thinking, well, you know, it's okay. It's just, it's apple trees and, you know, no space is wasted. But in the end, if you want to do it easier, and I can imagine people in their backyard, you don't have a lot of room. You don't want to waste space. Well, I like uh, Sepp Holzer's take on it. He says, if you don't want a pig to do the job, then you inherit the job of the pig. <laughs> and it applies for everything, everything in your ecosystem. If you don't want a, a nitrogen fixing tree, no problem. Then you're going to inherit the job of improving the soil. So that's really what it comes down to. You don't have to have it, but if you have it, well, it'll improve the soil. Oh, oh, by the way, what about the insects? Well, you know, I went down the road of monoculture and had 
but you're going to have a lot more insects. Why? Because you have no break. You have nothing that is had to diversity. You have nothing that's really a host plant or tree to the insects that are trying to kill or eat you know, your pests. So that whole aspect of you know wasting space, uh, it's it's not wasted space. It's actually space that is essential in that ecosystem. So that's fantastic and very helpful. Um, what you're saying is that we want these trees because they're going to provide services for us. And also they're beautiful and lovely. But let's talk about the nitrogen fixing services that they provide. What is it that nitrogen fixing trees actually do? How does it work? It's it makes, like I say, it's that element. So if you want nitrogen and every plant needs nitrogen, how much they need is really, uh, it is an indication of the fertility of the soil. So nitrogen is something that is used up in the production of leaves and branches and fruit. So it is, it's essential. How it's provided, that's another aspect. So for example, if you have too much nitrogen, and it's not at all uncommon, it's actually very common in fruit production to have too much nitrogen, and it shows up as especially the sap-sucking insects. So things like aphids. Do you ever see, oh, yeah, I have aphids. I got a lot of aphids on my... Well, aphids aren't a problem. They are an indicator of a problem. So they're there to tell you if you don't, if you can't read the plants, what they're trying to tell you, just read, you know, learn a few basics. If the insects are there and they're sucking sap, that's because your growth is excessive. And usually excessive growth is too much nitrogen. So for example, in our orchard, we replanted, we tore out most of our old apple orchard and we replanted in a permaculture design using nitrogen fixing trees and, and shrubs and so on. And since we did, we haven't added any fertilizer to the orchard in thir for 13 years. Well, that's not at all a common situation. People are always putting fertilizer because it increases their production. But then you have the other aspects. So, for example, I really have to look to see and find an aphid because I don't have excess nitrogen. I have what the plants need, but not too much. Now, how does it work? Well, the, the trees, in the case of nitrogen fixing, they fix nitrogen from the air, and it's an association with a rhizobium bacteria that, that actually captures that uh, nitrogen. But then the tree has it. It's created it, and it has it. But what does it do with it? It doesn't just, oh, yeah, you want some here. No, you really have to prune the tree, the nitrogen fixing tree or shrub, and that causes a certain amount of root dieback. And that dying back of the roots is where that nitrogen now is released and made available to the other plants. It so can also I'm, going to, I'm going to backtrack just for a minute. We've got a whole bunch of great information in there I want to sort of break apart. First of all, we had an email, uh, we had a, on Facebook Live, uh, Jadev writes, and you answered this already, but I really appreciate the question. Does extra nitrogen harm apples, apple trees, apple fruit? And if yes, then in what way? So you said, yes, extra nitrogen is actually a common problem. 
So going back to the extra nitrogen uh, question, I can see how it could be a problem if you took a bottle of nitrogen uh, fertilizer and you poured it all around your tree. Um, what would happen then? Just a little, what would happen if we added synthetic nitrogen to our tree and too much of it? And can we compare that to what would happen if we had an apple tree surrounded by three nitrogen fixing trees? Would we have the same problem? You can, actually you really wouldn't. I, I very much doubt you would have um, the symptoms of excess nitrogen because unless you really prune those three trees severely, uh, made them give up everything, the, the problems usually occur when you have single element imbalance. So as you said, if you take, and you can, and that's the thing, you can buy nitrogen in a form where it's 20, zero, zero, for example, you know, the three letters, uh, three numbers. Well, the first one is the nitrogen. So if you took a 20, zero, zero, you're giving just nitrogen. And if you put that, you can really cause a nitrogen imbalance. And that's the uh, synthetic chemistry. You can do single element additions, which nature never does. For example, you have chickens on an area and they are pooping. Like we have chickens running through our orchard. Well, the chickens will certainly, they are a high nitrogen uh, manure. So you can have high nitrogen, but that's not the only thing you have. They, in their manure, you'll have potassium, you'll have you know, uh, phosphorus, you'll have many different elements and micronutrients. So it's always trying to get that balance right. And the problem is when we try to play chemist and add single element, that's where we have problems while trees giving that nitrogen, although it is nitrogen rich, it is not nitrogen only. So it's that balance is much more in tune with what the plants actually need. It's when one thing is out of kilter, really one is far out, that's when you'll have problems. Gotcha. We have lots of questions. Let's go through the questions. Um, and there are some really good ones. And then we will... So here we have a question. Oh, here's one from Ralph. Ralph says, hello today, Susan. Very interesting topic. I'm not very versed in this topic, but it is very interesting. Listening to you from St. Louis. That's great. Now, who do we have next? Eric from Hamilton, uh, Hamilton in New Jersey. A little off topic, but Stefan uses black plastic as mulch. I'm assuming a six mil UV resistant, two strips about four feet wide. Where does he specifically source the rolls from? That's from Eric, not sure where, oh, Hamilton, New Jersey. Yeah, uh, I, I actually buy it nearby, it's close to where we are, uh, but they ship, I know they ship all over the US and Canada, it's called the place called Dubois Agri Innovation. I think it's Dubois Ag, D-U-B-O-I-S-A-G dot uh, com. And there, if you look under closer to you, if you like, look under plastic culture, like plastic culture, but one C. So it's called plastic culture. It's using plastics. And uh, Eric, I, I presume you know my some of my work. And I don't want I don't want to give the impression that absolutely, you know, yes, I use plastic. Would I? 
if I had the option or if I had the choice, no. But on the scale that I'm doing, it is such a work saver that I use it because, gee, you know, I would probably be out there mulching now if I didn't have, you know, acres covered in, in plastic because it allows me to do other things than just maintain the orchard, at least with the, with the level of equipment that I have. So equipment is, can be important. And if you don't have it, then you'll need something else. Okay, let's go on to we'll go on to the next question. Yeah. As I said, lots, lots of good questions. Okay. So here's a question from Shelly, listening from Las Vegas. Shelly says, what is the best nitrogen producing tree or nitrogen fixing tree? The best one, Shelly, is the one that grows like a weed in your area. Um, there, there's no magic bullet one. Every every region, every region in the world has some one of them at least to start that can grow well and it doesn't mean it'll grow well right from the get-go you may even need to jump start because there's desert areas uh jeff lawton had some great example of in his area he had to do uh not quite terracing but he had to put swales in to start getting some water just for the most spiny nasty tree to grow and that was the start and now those have been replaced by third wave nitrogen fixing trees and so on so i just say look around probably something that people are complaining about sometimes it's an invasive weed and if you look into it it is actually a nitrogen fixing because the soil is so degraded that only a plant that can actually absorb its own nitrogen can grow so they're often an indicator that the site is so destroyed that it's considered a weed at first because it's the only thing that can grow. And once they've done their job of improving the site, then a wave of either nitrogen fixing or other plants can start coming in. Gotcha. So I can't tell you which is the one for your area. I do know that in some parts of the uh, southwest that it's Russian olive has taken over some places, but it can be a real godsend. If that's the only thing that will grow as a tree, then by all means grow it because you will need something to start to jumpstart uh, adding carbon to the soil, adding shade. Shade is super important to have, especially in a hotter, drier area. Okay, well, we got some more questions. We've got Claire wrote in. She writes, saying hi to enter the contest. Thanks a lot. That's from Claire. Let's see who else we've got. We've got a question from Facebook Live from Marie. Marie says, hi, nitrogen fixing trees and shrubs just want to die at my place. They can't handle low potassium conditions. I lost sea buckthorns, she said, black locusts, Siberian pea shrubs. It looks like I have to help them before they help my other trees. Um, I don't know, Marie, you can uh, text us back to tell us where you're located. Uh, but Stefan, do you have any encouraging words for Marie? Yeah, it sounds like your site is already prepared. Like I say, it's often plants that will grow where other things really will struggle. But if your soil is already really well established, then they are not the ones that will 
that they really can't become dominant. Like you may even have to fight to get them going because your soil is already, you say low potassium, uh, but you talk about other trees growing. So that can be a, a situation. You may have only your highest level nitrogen fixers that, that may be able to grow. Think of the ones that are growing in a, in a climax forest like honey locust. Uh, black locust's often a, a pioneer, but honey locust will grow and will be part of the final climax canopy. So it's uh, it it's not a one size fits all, but they have a role. They have a time, you know, everything in succession, uh, and it sounds like maybe your succession is quite well advanced. Uh, so, okay, we got another email here. This is from Boston, Massachusetts. It's from Winnie. Hello from Boston. What about those nitrogen tree spikes that you plant in the ground or that you poke into the ground? Are they any good? I think what Winnie is talking about is those fertilizer spikes. Yeah. So uh, any feedback on those? Uh, I've never used them personally, but it, like like I said, of any, I like the Charles Walters from Acres USA used to call it rescue chemistry. Uh, if you are in a situation where you need rescue chemistry, basically doing something to rescue a plant, you are getting your plants on a treadmill. You're in Boston. There is lots of tree companies in Boston. Call up a couple of tree companies and say, hey, uh, I have, maybe you have a little driveway space. And you say, I could uh, receive a truckload of wood chips if you're chipping in our area. They can, they'll gladly dump it usually because they have to pay most often to dispose of it. Wood chips is the best mulch you can do to really jumpstart your soil to make it amenable to trees. So instead of planting little spikes, I would plant a layer of mulch. If you could put six to 10 or 12 inches of wood chip mulch around your tree, I guarantee you won't need any spikes. It'll take six months or so for that organic matter to start uh, kicking in your, your uh, nutrient cycle. Your fungus level will increase. If you ever see mushrooms, don't freak out you know, do a little dance because that's a great thing. You want fungus. Trees need fungus and they need a soil dominated by fungus. And so instead of relying on things you can buy like that, there are far better solutions out there. So I want to go back. You said you would put down, you would lay down six to 12 inches of wood chips, like oh, a, yeah. foot, we, a foot yeah, thick. Actually, uh, one of my apprentices had put down, he was dumping it with tractor, so the whole bucket. So it would be about two to half, two and a half feet thick of mulch uh, around the roots of his apple trees. And he was in a very heavy about, clay. So uh, you're yeah, talking, talking about you know, like, wide. Yeah. You see, uh, wide that, up to the drip line. Right, up to so the, the drip you know line. The drip line, Susan. Yes, yeah. of course. So my I question would, for you is, you can, yeah, my question for you is, 
Um, in the past, I must say, I have actually made every mistake out there. I've done everything wrong with fruit trees. That's how I learn. But one year we did mulch our fruit trees uh, too thickly. And we got fungal uh, diseases because we what we didn't remember is about the, the oxygen that the roots needed some oxygen to. So perhaps, perhaps ours was too compressed. But I kind of, myself, I limited it two to three inches of compost or wood chips or whatever, just because I guess maybe because our soil is such heavy clay, we really want to make sure some air gets into the roots. So I suppose it depends on what type of soil you have. Absolutely. Uh, but, and, and don't, you're part of the club, Susan, don't worry. Everybody's made uh, plenty of mistakes. I actually have put out three videos about all the mistakes I've made because I've made so many. I just keep going to make more because that's the best way to learn. But the amount of wood chips you put, um, especially if they're coarse, so coarse as in how fast they chip it. So if you could barely see little flakes, it's almost sawdust. That can compress. So that can be a situation where uh, you had, you'd put down a lot. And if you found you, well, the fungal is one uh, issue is that you keep that away from the trunk of the tree, by all means, like don't, don't put that right up against the trunk. It never happened in nature. So don't do it. Keep it away from the trunk, but put it away, put it around the tree to the drip line. The quantity, I mean, we've used you know, on projects I've done, we've used up to that level, two and a half feet. And even in a heavy clay, uh, the worms, it wasn't long, the worms came in. And, and if the wood chips are coarse enough, you could basically see pieces of about a couple of inches long. You should not get uh, oxygen starvation at all or any kind of compaction. So I'm Great. curious about your situation that you would have had that happen. Uh, well, our solution for us is when we got the the wet roots that we there was just too much water at the time. The roots got wet. We got some symptoms, especially in our cherry trees. We actually resolved the problems by pulling back the mulch and exposing some of the roots of the cherry trees uh, so that they dried out. And that year, the cherry trees were not in great shape, but they made a really good comeback the following year. So that's awesome. So we've got on, uh, on Facebook Live, Mike writes, I am in the foothills of southeast, southeast of Sacramento, California. I am planting black locusts with lots of other stuff. I have a few growing nicely now. So that's amazing. Black locusts is, of course, nitrogen fixing. So let's talk a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the science. So from what I understand, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, in the soil, there are specialist bacteria that can somehow take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and they pull it into the soil somehow. And then they make their homes in the roots of the, the nitrogen fixing tree. Is that how it works? Like how, how does this nitrogen get into the plant? It's, it must be just magic. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Actually, I, I don't Sounds know like the exact, uh, the exact process. It, there is a symbiosis between the tree, uh, these bacteria, and there's a few kind. There's uh, rhizobium bacteria that you'll see in some of some of the like honey locust uh, not sorry black locust would have that uh, black locust creates these huge nodules that are the size of golf balls uh, 
or you can have a Frankia. It's a different pathway. There's there's kind of two pathways. How exactly they fix it, I'm not sure how exactly the the, uh, the exact process. Uh, but if your soil is aerated, I mean, there's air getting in, and that's why wood chip mulch is useful because it really improves the structure. And structure means how much airspace there is in your soil. So if there's good airspace, then air gets into the soil is around where those bacteria are trying to fix that nitrogen. And since what is air? 75%, 78% nitrogen. So it's kind of crazy when you think that people buy nitrogen. You think, wait, why are you buying nitrogen when three quarters and more of our atmosphere, of the air we breathe, is nitrogen? Well, all we need is to partner with these bacteria, really, and that just live and symbiose with the tree roots or the shrub roots, or the clover roots, whatever you want. They are in symbiosis, and they are doing that work for you. So it's I, when you stop to think of it, you think, that is absolutely crazy that we are spending a dime on nitrogen when the atmosphere is full of it. We need to spend a little bit of time partnering with plants and bacteria that are glad to do the job. Remember what I said, if you don't want a pig to do the job, you inherit. Well, if you don't want the bacteria to be fixing the nitrogen, then you will have to. Well, don't, <laughs> you know, don't do it. Okay, so let's go and now look at the the nitrogen fixing tree has roots. The roots have nodules, which is where these little packages of nitrogen essentially are hiding. And those nodules are formed thanks to the symbiotic bacteria in the soil that snatches the nitrogen out of the air and somehow, you know, sets up shop in the roots of the tree. So that's fantastic for the tree. The tree has nitrogen, that tree. How does my apple tree next door benefit? Does that nitrogen fixing tree have to die and then its roots will decompose and these little nodules will decompose? Does the tree have to die in order for my fruit tree to benefit? Yeah, good question. I wish I had, I wish there was more research looking at this. Uh, and I can understand from industry point of view why they don't want to look at it too much, just because, hey, there's lots of money to be made in, in you know, cracking petroleum to get nitrogen out of it, uh, while nature wants to do it for free, we need to examine, you know, how much is the exchange happening? What's the best way to get it to happen? How much of the nitrogen-fixing tree do you have to prune off every year? Is there a time of year that is best to be pruning that nitrogen fixer to release that nitrogen? So, that pruning aspect is is really uh, a vital part of the whole uh, scenario. So I want I, to talk about that last piece about pruning. So we're talking about roots. Yep. How, you know, wh where is pruning linked to it? When you prune off a branch of your nitrogen fixing tree, how does that affect those nodules in the roots? Yeah, good Good point. One of the things people misunderstand about trees and tree roots, and, and uh, Dr. Carl Whitcomb, from, he used to be at Oklahoma State University, <clears throat> he did a lot of the research years ago where he basically looked at 
the roots and the branches. And we now know that each branch has its root. We think, well, the roots, you know, the roots provide the tree. Yes, but each root, because if you can divide, here's one root, that one root is mostly connected to one branch. Imagine a continuous pipe. You see a root. It's like a pipe. Well, that pipe goes usually along the trunk on the side that that root is connected, and then it goes up, and somewhere on that same side, <clears throat> it actually goes and feeds a branch. So a root is connected to a branch. So if you prune off a branch or part of a branch, you will cause a, a decrease in the root mass on that side of the tree. So if you're pruning the nitrogen-fixing tree, a percentage, now what percentage? I don't know. What percentage of that root causes the dieback? Certainly not all of it because the, the branch will regrow new shoots. So it has to have some reserve, but a part of it will um, be given back to the soil. The same happens when you mow your lawn. Every time you mow your lawn, you slough off a small percentage of your root mass. And that's how your soil can improve in organic matter. It's the same when animals graze uh, pasture. Well, they'll basically fix nitrogen into the uh, nitrogen and organic matter into the soil. So for instance, back to my story in the beginning, I talk about the Siberian pea shrub right beside an apple tree. And I'm thinking, gee, that apple tree doesn't look that much healthier than my other apple trees. Well, we never pruned that Siberian pea shrub, so perhaps it never had access to the nitrogen in the root system. And maybe now we can start doing some experiments, pruning off some of those branches and seeing, does this tree get a little bit of extra energy? What do you think? I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I'll report back to you. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, couple more quick emails, then we'll go to a commercial break. But first, we've got Mike who writes, thanks for this talk. Such great stuff. That's from Mike. Thank you, Mike. We've got here, uh, Ralph writes, hello from Toronto. Are there any spray nitrogen products that you can spray on your trees instead of growing nitrogen trees? Because I have no extra room for my cherry tree. Aha. And we, by the way, uh, Ralph, we're going to talk about nitrogen fixing plants in the second part of the show. Um, but what do you think, Stefan? Are there any spray nitrogen products he should consider? Uh, yeah, he could. Definitely one that we, we still use uh, to con partly control uh, fungal diseases, actually to very well control fungal diseases is called whey. Uh, whey is a cheese byproduct. So when you make cheese, you take milk, you curdle it, you cause the fat to gl make globules, and then you're left with a liquid. So when you take the cheese curds out and you squish them to make a block of cheese, you're left with this liquid. This liquid is called whey. And whey is way better than any conventional product that you could put on your trees. It's high protein. Have you ever heard of people who are doing a lot of uh, exercise, they take in whey protein because uh, protein is made of a lot of nitrogen. So it's one of the elements, but nitrogen is, is really present in a high protein foodstuffs or anything. So we have used it and we still use it because yes, it controls fungal diseases extremely well, 
but it actually is a fertigation. So although I say I don't fertilize the orchard, I haven't, I do apply, uh, what do I put in about uh, three to six tons in the whole orchard of whey. That's mostly water, but it's like if it was three tons of actual whey, that would be incredible, but it's a lot of water in the whey. Uh, and so we do use some, but it is a great addition of nitrogen to your trees. The trick is finding way. Uh, it's way easier to talk about it than it is to actually get. But if you know somebody who's making cheese, you can use that. If you're using uh, even some of the, um, let's see, some of the yogurts can be used. You dilute a, a natural yogurt that can be used, not as good, but it can be used. So, Ralph, also, I would suggest you listen to last month's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. And we talked about sprays you can make yourself, and whey is one of the ingredients. Um, my guest talked about using whey powder in your mixes. So whey powder that you get from the natural health food shops. If you've just got one tree, it might be worth it. So check out last month's show with uh, John Kempf on uh, fruit tree sprays. So Stefan, let's go. Are you okay uh, holding on the line for a couple of minutes and we'll hear a few words uh, from our sponsors? Let's go. Okay, let's do it. So we chatted now about nitrogen fixing trees and shrubs. In the next part of the show, we will talk more about nitrogen fixing perennials and other plants. In the meantime, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101. And I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we'll be back right after the break. G'day gardeners, it's JJ here your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell water savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week, you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell water savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, 
In our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalogue. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we've been talking about nitrogen-fixing trees and plants. And my guest on the show today is Stefan Sapkowiak. He is a biologist and a landscape architect who's taught fruit production and landscape design at Montreal's McGill University. He's been teaching permaculture in Quebec since 1995. And Stefan is the owner of a commercial permaculture orchard called Miracle Farms since 1993. Now, before we continue the interview, I want to hear from you, the listeners. If you have any questions or comments during the live show, you can email them to us at instudio101 at gmail.com, and we will enter you into this month's contest. This month, we have three prizes for three separate listeners. The first prize is the Food Forest Handbook. Design and manage a home-scale perennial polyculture garden by Daryl Frey and Michelle Schulba. 
and two copies of Stefan's ebook. It's called Stefan Subkoviak Answers Questions from People Like You. And that is valued at $5. So to enter the contest, just send us an email right now with your question, with your comment, or just to say hi. Send the email to instudio101 at gmail.com and be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. And we look forward to hearing from you. So Stefan, we have been chatting about nitrogen fixing trees. We've been chatting about how to release the nitrogen from those trees so it's accessible to your fruit trees. And you were saying that uh, one of the ways may be by pruning off different branches. Um, before we continue on with my questions, we've got a couple more emails here. This is from Brenda. Hi, I live in Delson, Quebec. Wow, who knew? Such great information today. Thank you for the topic. What is your guest's website? Thank you. Our website is uh, miracle.farm. <clears throat> so just a very, a dot farm, not common, but it's great for farm. So miracle.farm. Yes, Delson, on the way to the farm, actually. Nice. Oh, she can come visit you. Absolutely. And also, Brenda and the other listeners should know you have, and we'll talk about this a little more at the end, a fabulous YouTube channel. How can they find your YouTube channel where you give tours of your orchard and you give all sorts of wonderful advice? Uh, yeah, it's under my name, Stefan Subkoviak, The Permaculture Orchard. Great. So, so people should find that. It's a lot of fun to watch. You're a funny guy, Stefan. Thank you. Funny and educational at the same time. Best okay. way to learn. <laughs> Best way to learn is to be able to laugh at yourself. Hey, that's, I have to do a lot of that. We've got an email from Michael here. Hi all, greetings from Eagle River, Alaska. And thank you for the show today. I have a combination of very rocky and clay soil. What recommendations do you have for this soil combination to best take advantage of nitrogen fixing. So that's from Michael. Uh, Michael, you probably have on your own property, you probably have alders. And alders are in the top trees to use. Trees, shrubs, they're probably more like a shrub in your area. Consider using alders. They are really, if, here's a lesson for you. You probably have some. Go look at where you have an alder on your property. Go dig within the drip line. I mean, you know, three feet, four feet away from the tree. Just dig a few, a couple of shovelfuls underneath those alders and compare that soil to 30 feet away from the alder. And if you don't find a noticeable difference, then you have incredible soil already. But chances are you will see underneath those alders, every time I've done it, it, the result is staggering, The underneath the alders. And if you dig a little deeper, you'll probably find the nodules. Nodules from a, an alder are a little bit smaller. They're about a, I was going to say a loony size, but uh, a quarter size. So that's about the size of the nodules under alder. They are one of the best nitrogen fixing trees. They are already growing in your climate, on your soil probably, and great one to combine with your fruit trees because you can really, you have to prune them. They're a shrub, so you can, 
prune them every year, just take a few stems out because they're multiple stemmed uh, shrubs and you can use them for firewood as well. So great choice, it's already in your area. And if that one isn't enough, in where it's a little drier and poor, you can even use seaberry because that'll grow almost to the limit of tree growth. Seaberry is sea buckthorn, right? Sea it's buckthorn, also called yes. sea buckthorn. Um, great question, um, actually. And and you talk about pruning. Is your winter made up of pruning not just your fruit trees, but your nitrogen fixing trees? Are you just out there every day hacking away at all your trees? Yeah, we, we do prune. Uh, I, actually, I use the winter to prune the biggest branches on the nitrogen fixing trees. So the I like to make the big cuts when the tree is dormant. And I can come back later and just do the, the that year's growth or two years growth, prune them in the summer. That's not a problem. And that way it's kind of a two season pruning. So by pruning in the winter, that nitrogen is probably not going to be available until summertime for the fruit trees. That's a guess. Uh, but what I prune in the fall or late summer, that will be probably available maybe in the fall, but most likely next spring, it'll, it'll be there. Okay, we have a question here from Kathy from Onalaska, Washington. She says, hi, Susan and Stefan, thank you for this great discussion. We have an orchard of about 30 mixed fruit trees. How many nitrogen pick fixing trees and shrubs would be helpful for that many fruit trees? How near does a nitrogen fixing tree or shrub need to be planted to benefit a fruit tree? Fantastic questions, Kathy. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So, Kathy, if you've got 30 existing fruit trees, I consider planting the nitrogen fixers in a trio pattern. So, I changed from what Bill Mollison had recommended, where he said put a nitrogen fixer and a fruit tree, a nitrogen fixer and a fruit tree. So do one, two, one, two, one, two. I'm concerned about the space used. So I did not do that. I thought maybe I can stretch it so that every fruit tree will have a nitrogen fixer at least on one side. So I use a trio pattern. So then I can put a fruit tree, a nitrogen fixer, and another fruit tree. Then have a second trio, which is a fruit tree, a nitrogen fixer, and another fruit tree or nut tree or nut shrub. And so for your 30, those would be your fruit. And I wouldn't, because there, it's an existing orchard, I wouldn't consider using nitrogen fixing trees because you probably don't have the space, but you can integrate shrubs. So as Susan had mentioned, uh, Carragana could be one. You can use sea buckthorn or sea berry. That's an excellent one. Plus, it produces fruit, edible fruit, which is fantastic. Uh, depending on how much space, you can go with the really lower shrub species ones as well. So, since you have 30, you're adding, what is it, one, two, three? So, you would put in 10, uh, 10 or 15 nitrogen fixing shrubs to your 30 trees. So that would be 45. And then you would have one third nitrogen fixer, one and two thirds fruit trees. So yeah, for 30, I would add 15 nitrogen fixing shrubs. So I love your idea of the trios. You talk about the trios you've got, and you originally called it 
something else. Let's see. What did you use to call it? Nap. Uh, nap. I like it. So you can go take a nap while the your nitrogen fixing tree feeds your other trees. I like that. But anyways, so you have your trios. You've got a fruit tree, a nitrogen fixing tree, and then another fruit tree. But then you were talking about using the opportunity to use the rest of the area around the trees for other plants, including nitrogen fixing plants. So they may be uh, perennials, they may be herbs. Can you talk to me about these trios? How would you embellish them with other plants? Okay. The, if you have a fruit tree, as Kathy had, has fruit trees, you have space underneath the trees that is growing something, probably growing grass. And I'm not saying grass is a waste because it isn't. It's just a plant that's waiting for a better use. Basically, it's a land-holding plant. But our the existing kind of scheme that we're using right now is each tree, and that's fruit tree or nitrogen-fixing tree, should have one to six shrubs underneath it. And now I say one to six, one if it's a really a small fruit tree, uh, it's not gonna get very large, probably on ultra dwarf rootstock. Then you could put one shrub per tree. If you are using a standard tree, which can be 30 feet or 10 meters high and wide, well, you could easily put six shrubs underneath that tree. So the range is depending on what you have and what you're planning. So you could put shrubs under. And the is now you're getting extra crops. You're getting crops at another time of year. You're getting more diversity. And you're just adding to the overall biodiversity while getting other crops to harvest. But that's just trees and shrubs. That's two layers. Now you can add underneath that, you can add a third layer, which is your ground cover. You can use herbs. We use a lot of herbs. You could use all of the, and, and especially use as many of the onion family as you can get. So we're talking uh, chives, garlic chives, Egyptian onions, uh, wild garlic or ramps as they're called in the US. You can use uh, bunching onions. You can use perennial scallions. Any onion family that you can get a hand handle on that is edible because some of them are not very edible. We got pink uh, nodding onion from the prairies, and they're not. It's not something that you really want to eat. It's not a great one to eat. There's a difference between uh, edible and delectable. So stick with the delectable ones. If you don't know garlic chives, please look it up. Get some. Put them under every fruit tree should have a, at least one clump of garlic chives. And you will thank me for the rest of your life because you will be eating garlic greens for the rest of your life. And your life will be longer for sure, just because the benefits of having some garlic in your diet all the time. Uh, so that's adding three layers. And then we take it another step and you can take it further than that. But we stick to just the three as the tree, shrub, and ground covers. And then on the nitrogen fixing, if they are trees, we add uh, vines. So we put either grape or kiwi. We have some wisteria vine. We have some climbing honeysuckle. Some of you are gasping because I say climbing honeysuckle. You're planting it. Well, they don't spread in our climate. You actually have to plant it or they don't grow. Um, so grow something that is going to give you a crop. Well, honeysuckle is not a crop that we're eating, but I love getting birds and they attract a tremendous amount of 
hummingbirds, and that's an added bonus to the pleasure of the orchard. So in that space, if you've got grass, you can have so much more. We start harvests in March some years, certainly in April, and it goes right up to November. So you think, well, I got a fruit tree, you know, I harvest for two weeks. Well, why not harvest for five months, six months? What is that? It's a long season and you can get something throughout that season. If you say, yeah, but I like flowers, then put in flowers. For each fruit tree, we use dwarf fruit trees mostly. For each fruit tree, we aim to have 16 perennials per tree. So do the math, Kathy, if you have 30 fruit tree times 16, and if you're going to add your nitrogen-fixing shrubs, which will take up the space, so do the math, 45 times 16, whatever that is, that's a lot of plants. And that can all be flowers. If you want flowers, put flowers in. Great. So now, believe it or not, we're coming right up to the end of the, the, end of the show. We have one more email here. It's from Chris. Chris says, wonderful show today, Susan. I did not get a chance to listen to the entire show. Will it be posted and where? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It was wonderful to have Stefan as a guest. He's so full of great information. Um, it will be posted. You go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts, and you can listen from the beginning. You will also be able to listen to previous episodes with other fabulous guests. So thank you for that email. I will quickly check to see if there is, nope, that's the last email for now. So guess what, Stefan, it's time for the contest. Fantastic. We are going to see who wins our prizes. Gary, are you there? Gary I am here. Yes. And yes. what I'm going to do is I have all the names in a bucket. I'm going to shake the bucket and ask Stefan to say stop. I'll pull three pieces of paper out of there with the names on them, and we'll announce the winners. So, Stefan, are you ready? Stop. And guys, no, not yet. I didn't we, do it yet. <laughs> the first prize, guys, the first prize, let's do the first prize is the Food Forest Handbook. Valued at $39.95. So that's for this one. So that the moment of truth. Okay, drum roll, please. Okay, here we go. We're going to shake. And Stefan, tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Ooh. That was quick. Okay, hold yeah. on. Let me pull out the first one. And the first winner is Kathy H. from... On Alaska, Washington. Yay, Kathy. Fantastic. All right. That is fantastic. Okay, ready? Now for number Great two. Book, We've got Kathy. two copies of Stefan's book. Okay. And let me pull this one out here. And this one is Eric T. from Hamilton Township, New Jersey. Great. Yay, Yay for Eric. Okay, and now number three, moment of truth to everybody wrote in. You could be one of the winners. If you wrote us an email, you could be one of the winners. That's so, right, and here we go. Okay. Just a Attention. quick mention, this book is actually over 20 hours of answering questions. Wow. So if you have a question, I'm pretty sure your very similar question has already been answered in that book. Okay. Beautiful. Well, let's see. And here we go. This winner is Michael M. from Eagle River, Alaska. Yay. Mm -hmm. And those are your new winners from The Price is Right. No, only kidding. Yeah. Oh, from The Price is Right. We were on the wrong show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. Congratulations to all the winners. That's so fantastic. And thank you for participating. I just want to mention this show has recently won a beautiful award from an organization called GardenCom. And GardenCom is an organization of garden communicators. So this show has won uh, a silver award of achievement for a radio show overall, something like that. And I want to thank the listeners because you guys are the ones that make it so much fun. You ask fantastic questions, and I love it. Uh, I well, so appreciate your participation. Susan, are we going to get the award on the red carpet, or what are we going to do? Yeah, uh, well, only if only you got to get yourself really the tux. You've got to have a tux, yes. and i got to get a fancy dress, and we'll just show up somewhere. That's it. And we'll celebrate. <laughs> Does that sound good? Yeah, we'll pick a McDonald's. And also, well, we have to invite all our guests over the years. So this is Program 70. So, Stefan, you and all your esteemed colleagues will come and join us, you know, with your tux and everything. And we're going to have a big party to celebrate the Silver Award. Fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't do it without my guests. I wouldn't have anything to learn. Oh, my gosh. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Stefan. I really appreciate that you're a busy guy taking the time to come on the show. Do you want to say anything else to the listeners, how they can learn more about you, how they can buy that amazing book, The Answers for Questions for People Like You? Yeah, they could go to the website, miracle.farm. Uh, I also want to just put in a word. that our, We did a film some years ago, The Permaculture Orchard Beyond Organic. That film has it's really a mini course it's a little over two hours but if somebody's interested in this kind of idea of getting away from monoculture that was really the intent was to help people get started it's a whole lot is there and it spurred a whole lot of projects uh, like ours oh that sounds fantastic i would love to see it at some point so that's great where can they get that copy of the film permacultureorchard.com okay permacultureorchard.com. We got a message on Facebook. Julianne says, congratulations. Thank you, Julianne. I am quite excited. It's very nice. Okay, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the show, for taking the time to be with us. And we really appreciate having you here. Hopefully you'll come back again someday. Yes, I will. Thank you. We're blessed. (laughs) That's great. Well, thank you, everybody. You have been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. And if you missed part of it, you want to hear it again, go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts. If you want to learn more about fruit trees, you can check out my website at orchardpeople.com. I have articles. I have courses. I have everything. So you can have a look. And also, if you like this show, go to your podcatcher if you listen to the podcast version and go and rate and review it on itunes there's a way to do that that helps get attention to this show so that we can have more or less listeners and be more sustainable in the long term so that would be amazing if you could do that so that's it for today's episode we will meet again in one month for our next episode and i'm susan poisoner from the fruit tree care training website orchardpeople.com thank you so much for tuning in And I'll see you next month. Bye.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.